And thank you very much, Bruna. That really was an epic set of um, announcements, but I enjoyed them. Um, thank you, Bruna. So um, Al introduced last week um, about this place called Gilgal. Um, if you didn't hear this sermon last week, um, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. And probably for a lot of you, even if um, you're reasonably familiar with the Bible, you'd be thinking, I'm not really sure I know um, very much about Gilgal. Um, but the context is that after 40 years of the Israelites, more or less wandering in the desert, a whole generation had been disobedient to God and they have died. And uh, just prior to this in your Bibles, um, because we're going to be in Joshua today, you have Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is like uh, just before the children of Israel enter the promised land, Moses uh, takes them through. This is who we are, where we've been, what what God has done, um, and and sort of repeats the laws and, and stuff like that. So when you're on Bible in a year, you kind of feel like you're in repetition for um, about a month getting through Deuteronomy. But it is it's really important when you see that these people who um, maybe weren't as familiar with God's laws, um, that this is kind of really reinforced to them before they're going to enter into the promised land. Um, and Moses has now died, and, and Joshua will lead um, the people into the land. Uh, and Gilead, Gilgal, I've been thinking about this all week. Try not to say Gilead, okay? Say Gilgal. It's a good book, but, um, but Gilgal is this first staging point in the promised land from which um, the Israelites move out and conquer different parts of the land. Um, and so in Gilgal, as I was saying last week, it's a sense of actually being set apart and we have circumcision as one of the physical signs to this. It's, a me- it's, a, it's a also a metaphor about how God actually marks people as being different from those around him and from the gods around him. I mean, one of the reasons why Moses teaches um, about God and, and God's laws to these people before they enter into the promised land is that they're going to come across so many other gods and so many other traditions and so many other ways that it's important that God's ways are reinforced. And so these people are crossing over into their inheritance, but it's an inheritance that would be given piece by piece, step by step, battle by battle, and therefore their preparation is really key. So let's take some time this morning before looking at crossing over. So I'm going to go back a little bit, like Al's not here, so don't tell him, okay? But we're going to go backwards um, slightly. I'm going to look at Joshua 3. So if you have a Bible, um, you could turn to Joshua 3. And from the first verse, we're going to read about the children of Israel actually crossing over, okay? So from verse 1, early in the morning, Joshua and the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan. And they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. 
Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that you may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the, of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And then we'll skip down to verse 14. And it says this, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at full flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the, to the Sea of um, Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And so, the Israelites begin this journey into the unknown, okay? So I want you to try not to think about Frozen 2. But... This is a journey into the unknown. God is to lead his people, giving directions to the Levites. But this verse really struck me in verse 4, if we can have it on the screen. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. When we are in that place where we've never been somewhere before and we don't know what way to go, it's very difficult. It can feel very stressful. We can be anxious. And you see, the people who are, are going to take this new step and go in a different direction had spent the last 40 years walking around the desert and eating manna. What they had learned before and their experience in the past is not going to equip them for the journey that lies ahead. And so this is follow my steps and, direct, and directions carefully moment for the children of Israel. Not least because they're going to walk through uh, a river. And it kind of made me think about our current situation with our cost of living crisis. Is that what we've learned and what we knew up to this point is not going to equip us for what lies ahead because we're stepping into the unknown. There's no doubt that our government doesn't really know exactly what way to go. There are too many complex uh, factors to figure out and to take account of. I sit in meetings almost every day with, with different elected representatives and community groups, and, and nobody knows what's going to happen over the next number of months. Nobody knows exactly what way things are going to go. For many of us, actually, the last few years have felt a bit like that. From early 2020, we have this a similar feeling. And maybe you are one of these people, like many out there, who feel weary because it just seems to be one crisis, one doom and gloom prediction after another, and some of us just decide, I'm not going to watch the news anymore. Um, 
And I think that many people in our society have been experiencing a consistent anxiety about the future that leaves us feeling exhausted because we don't know what's going to happen next and we don't know what way things are going to go. And yet we need more than ever a peace that passes understanding, that goes beyond our ability to figure things out. And see that when the Bible talks about that peace, it goes past our understanding. The only way to embrace a peace that passes your understanding is to give up the right to understand, to, to give up the right to try and figure things out and to actually trust, put your faith in God and his leading. In a more positive note, I think that what we're heading into for us in society, like the children of Israel stepping into the unknown, is a place of faith and risk of opportunity. In the middle of uncertainty, we have the possibility to be like the Israelites and to follow very carefully the leading of God in uncertain times. This is the time to get ready. But our preparations are not let's stockpile food or necessarily get an additional job or insulate our homes because we aren't going to be afford to heat them or reduce our car usage, although those things maybe are, are things that we might do. Our response is not necessarily to hoard and to build a wall or to how, how to figure out how to protect and look after ourselves and our loved ones. God's response to crisis and to new things is very different from the world's. And what this story starts to show us is that as we approach something that's new and we, we don't understand, and we're not sure of the way forward, almost the ways of God are counterintuitive. Verse five says this, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. Consecrate yourselves. And see, do we have faith that tomorrow God will do amazing things among us? Do we believe that in the midst of the current crisis that God might come and do something? Because if we do, or if even we suspect that we do, then our response should be like the children of Israel and consecrate ourselves. Now, this is a very unusual word. Um, has anybody used it this week in general conversation? or this month, or this year, I must actually get around to consecrating myself. It's not the sort of thing that you hear in everyday conversation and everyday language. You see, too often we want the amazing things, but we don't want the work that has to come before it. And what consecrate means, um, this is a little bit of a definition, but is to make a conscious, willing decision to dedicate your soul, your mind, your heart, your body to God, this decision must be one of will, intelligence, and affection. It requires all of you give your all to God. And only you can make that decision to consecrate yourself to God. It is a personal thing. And I've been reflecting this week um, on the death of, of Queen Elizabeth II and thinking there was somebody who consecrated themselves 
to God, to his service ultimately. And I heard um, uh, an archbishop talking on the radio the other day and was saying that whilst people bow down before the queen, she bowed down before the king of kings. And time after time, it's wonderful to hear the testimony on the news of someone who lived their entire life in service of others, but ultimately in service of God. A couple of little quotes about consecration. This um, is from D.L. Moody, and it says, The world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. And that's challenging, isn't it? What does it look like for someone to live a fully consecrated, everything given to God? Um, And uh, this is a quote from Jonathan Edwards, who was an American revivalist, and he said, I claim no right to myself, no right to this understanding, this will, these affections that are in me. Neither do I have any right to this body or to its members, no right to its tongue, to these hands, feet, ears, or eyes. I have given myself clear away and not retained anything of my own. And do you know what those two people have um, in common? Revival. D.L. Moody, Jonathan Edwards. When people give themselves fully to God, anything is possible. And then this little quote um, on the screen says, when we consecrate ourselves to God, we think we are making a great sacrifice and doing lots for him, when really we are only letting go of some little bitsy trinkets that we have grabbed. And when our hands are empty, he fills them full of his treasure. And that's by somebody called Betty Stam. Hands up, who knows Betty? Yeah? I didn't either. John and Betty Stam were American Christian missionaries to China with the China Inland Mission during the Chinese Civil War. The missionary couple were executed by communist Chinese soldiers in 1934. That's what it means to consecrate yourself, to give yourself fully to God and to his purposes. So this consecration for the children of Israel happens at a deeper level through things like circumcision. And these acts of consecration are actually a regular rhythm for our lives. Consecration is not a one-off deal like you did when you became a Christian. Um, If you remember, if you were here last week, Al was talking about circles, things that we continually circle around and come back to, and straight, and straight lines, journeys that we go on. And, and, and consecration is a circle. We keep circling around. We give everything to God. And the reason why we have to keep giving everything to God is because, funny enough, because we keep taking things back. Oh, God, I don't know if I'll trust you with this or with that, or I'll look after this, and you're not allowed to look after that because that's a wee thing I keep hidden, just you and me. Um, But we consecrate, and the children of Israel consecrated, they gave themselves to God, and because of that, they started to see God do amazing things. So the next thing they did is that after consecration, they go to the water's edge. And the priests, um, so I went all Sunday school on you here with a wee wee picture. Um, If I'd had, right, one of my deep regrets in life is that um, I don't have a flannel graph. Um, (laughs) 
which is basically fuzzy felt for Christians, if you don't know. Um, and so you have all these kind of like wee pictures like that, and you have a felt board, and as you're telling the story, you put them up. If anybody wants to donate a fuzzy felt flannel graph to my cause as a preacher, just let me know. Um, anyway, so the, these guys, they, they, they start heading, and it says, as soon as their feet touch the water's edge, now I don't know about you, but if I were them, I'd be thinking, that's a little bit last minute. Imagine being there at that time. You're walking towards the water. Not only is it the Jordan, but it's the Jordan in flood season. You're walking towards the water, and you're kind of already, you've been told, walk towards the water, and God's going to do something. Okay, and so off you go, and you're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which is quite a scary thing, because if you touch it, you might die. And, and they're moving towards us, thinking... You know, like, could you imagine? Did they have a wee conversation? Like, do you know what's going to happen here? Do we have to? Do we have to keep going with this thing? And like, how deep is this water anyway? Can you swim? I, I can't swim. I don't know how I'm going to swim with this skirt on anyway. You know, <laughs> this is like, what? What's going to happen? And it says, as soon as their feet touched the water, the water went away. Not before, or like, you know, as they were walking close to the water, it seemed to be that the water started to um, move away, and they're thinking, oh, this is what God's doing. It was only when their feet were actually in the water did the water subside. And um, how many times do we believe that God is speaking to us, that God has called us to move, but we don't start moving? because everything hasn't lined up. We can't see far enough ahead to think, okay, God's got this. You know, the waters have parted. Is that dry? How dry is that ground on that riverbed? You know, can somebody go and test that and just see, can we all walk across that? They were in the water and it parted. You see, because after consecration comes confidence. We've given ourselves fully to God. We're, we're, we're giving ourselves to trust him. We've given everything. And so we step forward with confidence because we have consecrated. We've surrendered our wills, our egos, our finances, our future, everything to God. The very act of consecration sets us up to step into the miracle. Because what we need to realize and remember is what it says in, in verse 16, is that, that God is working upstream. The water from upstream stopped flowing. God was already doing something upstream because it takes water a while, doesn't it, to get downstream. So he must have stopped it upstream before they got to the river, but they couldn't see that he'd already stopped the water. Do you see what happens is that we, we, we don't necessarily perceive that if we're following God and following his will, that he might already have put plans in place, that he might already have been working upstream of where we are at. And this is a place that, where our faith needs to be anchored, that God is working upstream of whatever circumstances we're going to face in the future, unseen to us, he is at work. And that gives us faith. And some people need to hear that right now, this morning. God is working upstream of your life and your circumstances. You can't see it yet or even understand how or when. But remind yourself of who he is. Consecrate yourself and get ready to step forward to see what he does. 
Because when you step forward, when you follow what he is doing and how he is leading, it's only then that you discover what he's already been up to. And that's the journey of faith, isn't it? As we were saying the other week, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Risk. You can't have faith without risk. So what does faith look like in this, in a new season for you? Let's talk a little bit more about what lies ahead. When faced with a new challenge of our experience, we often have feelings of apprehension, fear, or stress. You see, not knowing what to expect or how things are going to go isn't a nice feeling at times. You know, you get that feeling when you're starting a new job or if you're, if you're joining a new church or moving to a new town, how are things gonna go? What is the right behavior? What do I say? Well, don't I say? There's so much to learn. Because we end up becoming slaves to the familiar. We are familiar with what we know, and even what, if what we know isn't great, at least it doesn't hold surprises to us. Sometimes the familiar can keep us in difficult and restrictive circumstances, because at least we know what to expect. Um, it doesn't stop us from having a good moan, by the way. But familiar can stop us and keep us from stepping in to the unknown where, where God is and we're going to step in to our destiny. For the children of Israel, their wanderings in the desert are effectively all that they know. Forty years of the same thing left them equipped for walking in circles in the desert. But not for taking new territory and living off the land. Could you imagine getting that CV in a job interview? So. I see here you've been busy over the last 40 years. Um, you're an expert in wearing the same clothes all the time. Um, you're great at putting up tents and taking down tents and putting up tents and taking down tents. You've written that in your CV, that's great. You can follow clouds and eat manna. Wow, that's really gonna be great for your new job, which is to take the promised land. Town by town, city by city, and you're gonna have to farm the land because there's no manna. Completely ill-equipped for the journey ahead. But what we need to know is that circumstances might change, but the character and person of God doesn't change. And therefore, our equipping for the next season is not just based on our past experience, but on the person and faithfulness of God. There is new grace for a new season. And where the disconnect can often come in life is that we know and we have confidence in God because we've seen him do something in the past or we've seen him work in a certain way in the past in our lives. But we don't always necessarily believe that he can do, this, do similar things in our future. We can believe God, for, for example, for a series of small everyday miracles in our lives because we have experience of that but we can't believe God for a really big miracle. Or we believe in God for miraculous provision of, say, for example, money, of provision, of financial resource, because we've seen God do that in the past. But we don't believe God for a miracle of physical healing. Because very often our experience dictates our faith level. And there's a problem with that because it becomes very difficult to step into something new and something different. You see, we just don't have the ability to transfer our experience into new situations. 
um, as much as we should. And sometimes the world is actually better at figuring this out than we are. So um, on the screen, I'm going to flick forward to Joshua chapter 5, and it says this. Now all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. So the other kings heard that God had dried up a river, and they melted in fear because they made the connection between the power to stop a river flowing and the power to take a city. Two completely different things, but the same power. And I think that this needs to become a bit of a light bulb moment for us as well, is that we believe and we have faith in God for certain things. You know, I believe that God will do this because I've seen it before. I believe that God will do that, but we've seen it before. And we've seen miracles. Now, you might have seen a small series of everyday miracles, but why do you have no faith for a big miracle? Those two things don't actually add up. The small miracle provision, the everyday working of God in our lives should build up and cultivate faith in our life for any and every situation, not just the situations that we have personal experience for. Because unless we connect that, unless we start to think differently, it's, it's very hard, very difficult to step into a new thing or the next thing because we think, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? I've never seen God do this. I've never seen God do that. As if he is in some way less able because you haven't experienced it. He's a God of breakthrough or he's not. So what does it look like to move from the known and into the unknown? The Israelites are moving from a known way of life, wandering around in the desert, eating manna, they're starting a journey of taking the land, but also to learn new skills in that land, building houses, taking towns, farming crops, building fortifications. Everything is changing. And the experience wasn't just like arriving at a new destination. It's an unfolding experience with many battles along the way. Every moment is an opportunity to learn. Every moment is new for them. And you can't undertake a new journey, and we can't step into the next thing that God has for us now in this season unless we're willing to embrace change. You see, the person that you were five years ago and the skills that you had then will not necessarily equip you for what you're facing now. We need to embrace change, and people don't like it for all sorts of reasons. There's a little quote um, here from John C. Maxwell who says, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. Things will change whether you like it or not. It's your choice as to whether you're going to grow and learn through that change. John F. Kennedy said, change is the law of life. And those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. Rick Warren said, there is no growth without change, no change without fear or loss, and no loss without pain. 
Change costs us something. It's painful, it's difficult, it can be stressful, but it's also the place that we grow, and it's the place where we learn day by day as change evolves to continually rely on, put our trust and faith in God. But as I look around this church, I can say with confidence that if you don't like change, Emmanuel Portadown is not for you. Because we have been on a journey, and we've talked about it very often, of following the cloud. And what I love about that is that, that you have all continued to follow what God has been doing. Where are we going to meet this week? I don't know, maybe a different old shopping center. Um, and, and respond to what God is doing. And it kind of shakes us up, doesn't it, in, in a good way? that we don't just settle for things being the same again and again, that we're willing to respond to God, that we're willing to respond and to think differently and to come up with new ideas and to be challenged. You see, a big territory cannot be taken with a small mindset. The manna stopped, the handout stopped, and the children of Israel had to grow a bit and learn to feed themselves. Many of us are going to have to grow quickly in the next few months and in the next few years. Our dependency on God in the kind of, you know, everything just falling on our laps kind of way needs to change. And for us, it's a bit like moving from being a child to, to being an adult where you have to look after yourself a bit more. You have to use the gifts and skills and abilities that God has given you in a different way. See, childish behavior will not get us through. It doesn't work relationally with added stress and anxiety. We need to mature. We need to treat each other maturely. We need to make mature decisions. To be carriers of hope and peace, and those who act with compassion and practical help, we need to grow up enough to look beyond ourselves and our own survival. Um, as Al said last week, we need to experience the full power of the gospel to transform our lives so that we can be people who transform our families and our communities. So many of the problems in our society, as I was saying a few weeks ago, um, feel like they're in miracle territory. And when things move into miracle territory, we need both um, the ability to step back from our efforts and the confidence to go forward in prayer because nothing else is going to do it. I love doing stuff. Like, I just, like, activity, activity. And when COVID hit, I was in my element. I thought it was the best thing ever. There's a crisis, and we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this, and we'll sort out this, and we'll get people to do that. That's me, right? Um, after the, f the first two weeks of doing, like, 90-plus hours of work, I realized that I couldn't sustain that. But now, cost of living crisis, problems in our society, you know, fuel prices through the roof, all this kind of stuff, I actually feel a bit of a sense of relief. I can't do any of this. I don't, you know, we can't do any of this. Society can't do any of this. The government can't do. Let's take a step back and ask God, what is it that you're going to do? At the start of our passage, it talks about God saying, the children of Israel, you've never been this way before. They don't know what steps to take. 
we as a society, as a church, have never been this way before. We don't know what steps to take. We don't know what to do. And so much of what we see ahead of us looks like it's in miracle territory. And could it be that the very act of consecration, of giving ourselves to God again, of giving everything and saying, God, you've got this, because we definitely haven't got this. What way do you want us to lead? And I think if we do that, we're going to see the church as being people who aren't just kind of trying to figure out how to survive and how to look after ourselves and our own wee thing. That we are going to see people, who, Christians, who step up at this time, who are generous with their time, generous with their energy, generous with their money. We're, we're going to find ourselves challenged to kind of to, to live sacrificially, to ask questions of ourselves and go, do you know what? I have extra time on my hands. How can God use that to bring life to my community? Maybe we're going to think, what does it look like to live sacrificially? Well, if I could give more financially to help other people, what would that look like in my life? So I'm going to stop having a Chinese every single week. And maybe one of those weeks, I'm going to take that money and invest it in God's kingdom. Maybe I'm going to have one less holiday. Maybe I'm going to choose to keep my car for one more year rather than upgrading and getting a new one because that's what you do. And I'm going to invest that. Maybe I'm going to do something in, in opening my home and, and that place of comfort and security that is, is my, my home and my place. I'm going to invite other people in and have them around my table and love them and care for them and look after them and feed them and chat to them. And I don't really like doing that because, you know, what does it look like for you to count the cost of consecration and account the cost of being part of God's solution to the brokenness in the world in this season. Because God is working upstream. And if he's working upstream, I want to be part of whatever he is doing. I want to have the faith and the confidence to step forward going, I think I can see a little bit ahead, but I know that God's already working ahead. So if I take a step forward, Oh, yeah, God, God's doing something here. Oh, yeah, God's already brought that person. Oh, yeah, God, God's bringing finances to this situation. And oh, my goodness, so God's working here and there. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. Um, and so I, I think in this season, just to, to finish, and I'm actually finishing, um, is that we're, we're going to move from being passive people to active, from walking to running. I think that some of us are going to go from being a follower to a leader because nobody else is going to lead in our community, in our family, in our workplace. But we're going to feel God's hand on our lives and go, and you're going to go, I can't lead. And God's going, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow I'm going to do amazing things. We're going to go from wanderers to warriors. The difference between a wanderer and a warrior is significant. Wanderers just float along, float around, like the children of Israel walking around in the, in the barren lands for 40 years, to a warrior who's disciplined, who's focused, who has a plan and part of a purpose, and who's part of a team. And we're going to go from passive receivers, where we're, what's, what am I going to get? What am I going to church? What am I going to get? to dealers of hope in our communities. Because there is no real hope out there except the hope that Jesus gives. 
But what if we as a church could be hope carriers and hope dealers all over our communities? There's plenty of people dealing all sorts of other things in our communities. But what people really need is hope. And we can be the carriers and the dealers uh, and the pushers of hope into our communities. Wouldn't that be fantastic if we started to do that? God, what are you doing? How can I carry hope today in the place that you have put me? What does it look like for me to bring your kingdom in that way? But you don't need to know all the steps ahead because thankfully unknown territory is also unfolding territory. At each point along the journey, we become aware of the next step. With each step, we become aware of our reality and have the opportunity to receive a revelation. The next challenge or the next blessing or the next hard road, God is working upstream. We don't need faith for the familiar. We need faith for the unknown. And in some ways, when life looks like it's going crazy, could it be that God is setting us up? Could it be that God is setting us up for himself? Could it be that God is setting us up for miracles? Could it even be that God is setting us up for revival? That actually the circumstances in our society are getting worse because God wants to come and bring himself and his presence and his kingdom in ways that we've never seen before. Maybe we're being set up for a move of the Spirit. We're certainly being set up for a faith journey, and we need to be willing to take the next step, and the next step, and the next step, whatever that looks like. So why don't we stand? I'd love to pray with you. And my prayer is this, two things, consecrate and step forward. Those are the two things that I feel like God wants to do. So let's just respond and put your hands out if you want to receive from God or just make this your prayer. Father God, will you come and take my life as an offering? my will, my desires, my time, my energy, my money, my everything, God, that I can give to you. I consecrate myself to live for you because that is the safest and best place that I can be. And God, I start to actually live and believe in the hope that as we consecrate ourselves, you will do great things amongst us. God, give us the vision, let us hear your voice to step out and to step forward. Even if you're only giving us one step at a time, even if we don't know what the outcome is going to be, that in these times, God, we would have the faith like the children of Israel to take one step after another and to believe and have faith that you're working upstream. God, that you have solutions to the problems that we're not even aware that there are problems about yet. You have solutions to the problems that everybody else in our society doesn't see any. And even if our circumstances don't necessarily get better, God, may we be carriers of a hope, the hope of eternity, the hope of life in all of its fullness that goes beyond our understanding. Lord, will you use me? Will you use us? And if you need breakthrough this morning, 
where, where you've been struggling, you're like, I can't be a hope carrier to anybody else because I don't even have it myself. That's okay. Receive hope right now in the name of Jesus. Receive faith right now in the name of Jesus to believe for breakthrough where you need it. And if you need breakthrough this morning, ask Jesus, name that thing you need breakthrough for or that person that you need breakthrough for or that circumstance that you need breakthrough for. God of breakthrough, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.